love has done its part And let him reign in my life and my heart Your love has done its part Welcome to Healing Hidden Wounds Radio, sponsored by Shadow of His Wings Ministry. We are glad you are listening today and hope you find words of healing, insight, and restoration. Shadow of His Wings Ministry was founded by Lee and Shay Preston and born out of God's vision for setting captives free. If you would like to support us in the work we do, please visit www.shadowofhiswingsministry.com to donate. Today on Healing Hidden Wounds, Lee is talking with Jonathan Darty, director of Be Broken Ministries. Let's listen in as Lee and Jonathan discuss the ins and outs of recovery from sexual brokenness. Well, Lee, we're going to dive into this uh, broadcast, and, and really it's all about kind of what do we do with this issue of control? And and you were talking about it uh, before the broadcast uh, primarily as an issue of, okay, coming out of a controlling environment as a child and maybe kind of the impact that has. So why don't you just kind of help our listeners understand maybe a little bit about what uh, control is and maybe how it manifests itself in a child's um uh, home growing up and kind of what the repercussions of that can be in maybe some of the clients you've seen and some of the things we see in ministry. Sure. Um, I guess, first of all, I just want to give a little background. I know some of our listeners may know, others may not. I came out of same-sex attraction uh, and homosexual addiction uh, and uh, have worked with men who have those same struggles for quite some time, I've begun in the last uh, few years working with men who have sexual addiction in general and I've begun to kind of see this common thread that runs through these guys' lives. And a lot of them grew up in controlling homes. Um, and some may say, well, what exactly is a controlling home? Um, well, I think what uh, the best picture I can give to that is a home that says, I love you if. Uh, it's a conditional home. Um, and I think what's important to kind of begin looking at there is you know, our example of our Heavenly Father, His love for us says, I don't take away your free will. You have the choices that you're going to make, and I don't take away that freedom to choose, but I love you even through your not-so-great choices. Whereas in a controlling home, there's more of this belief that I only love you if you do exactly what I say. And that control sometimes can come across as... Um, you know, feelings on the on the part of the child that they're not really loved because of who they are. They're loved because of how they act or or or, who, or what they do. So their their worth is based on performance. Their worth is based on meeting a certain set of criteria, whether they're verbalized or not. Um, and and so there's just all these conditions placed on a child. Now, how well do um, do children understand this sort of environment? I mean, I guess, you know, I've always, I've always personally thought that uh, children are way, way brighter than we give them credit in terms of being able to adapt, understand whether or not they could uh, coherently explain everything that they've experienced in their childhood. They can understand it. 
mm-hmm. on sort of an intuitive experiential level. And so what then does this sort of environment of control and conditional love have on a four-year-old, on a seven-year-old, on a 15-year, you know, growing up in that sort of environment? Sure. Well, as uh, as my ex-mother-in-law used to say, kids are little sponges, and they do absorb everything around them. And a kid can begin to realize real quick that I I get more, I feel better, my mom or dad feels better about me when I do exactly what they want. Whether it's even down to choices of what to eat, you know, those choices that you think a kid could make on their own, or choices of what to wear. Uh, no, you can't wear that today, you need to wear this. Well, why? Because it's the first day of school and I want you to look nice for your first day of school. Well, I really like these shorts better, but no, you need to wear this because what would the neighbors think if I sent you off to school in that? You know, those those kind of underlying messages that say, I'm not really concerned in what you want. I'm more concerned in the how we look, how we appear to others, and i got to control that to make everything feel better. Now, I, I think it's obvious that we could, There's there's a wide spectrum in which this type of environment can exist. I mean, some of what you're talking about, I would say, is maybe a little a little closer to um, what we might call more intense or even extreme examples of this in terms of where there could be high levels of abuse, high levels of, uh, what, I, what I mean is high levels of control that could be considered abusive. Mm-hmm. You know, um, to where there's even physical manipulation of a child to ensure that they are doing exactly what needs to be done. So, in other words, if a child even veers one degree off course, there may be a slap on the face, or a, you know. But, but wouldn't you say there's probably a larger population in which this environment exists in families that's much more subtle? in terms of how this control works and maybe what would that look like do you think in a in a child's home where there's still this element of control and condition but you know what maybe we've masked it with other language or with other uh, pictures that don't seem as extreme as like a, a controlling abusive environment sure sure um, sometimes it can be more of a, you know there's subtle jabs in the home you know a kid just kind of feels like uh oh something doesn't feel right about that oh um a, a parent might say you're you're not going to wear that to school this morning oh, are man. you you know and what does that tell the the child immediately something's not quite right here or um you know your grandmother made that especially for you uh, you mean you're going to disappoint her by not eating it? I mean, do you see kind of the subtle control there? It says basically you don't have a right to choose to eat when you're hungry. You, I, w- I will control this. You must eat, otherwise you're going to make someone unhappy. Um, something that, uh, and I know we talked a little bit about it before uh, we, we went on the air, but there's, God gave me a couple of questions to ask guys who I felt like had kind of maybe grown up in a controlling household, and and that was, uh, you know, to kind of role play, and, and they would be their parent, and I would be them, and I would go to them and say as the little child, as them as a child, I would say, you know, Mom or Dad, I, I just don't feel very loved by you. And then the answer that they give me is what kind of tells me whether they grew up in a controlling home or not. 
usually a controlling home, a parent would be have either one of these two uh, responses. One would be they would just be shocked, like, oh, my gosh, how can you believe that? How dare you say I don't love you? Or the other one is, is, well, of course, honey, I love you. Look at all the things I do for you. Yet a truly loving home would respond with a real care and concern, saying, well, honey, I'm so sorry that you don't feel loved. How can I help you? What What is it that would help you feel more loved? The other two are more of a shock on their part, like it's my feelings as the parent that's more con- the hurt, rather than acknowledging the, the hurt of the child, which generally happens in a controlling home. The child's feelings are put second, even third, to the controlling parent, because part of their control is... I must not feel hurt at all cost. And my if you question me, then that makes me feel like somehow I've, I'm, I'm, I'm failing. Failure is a big issue in controlling homes. Yeah, and isn't also a lot of this, a lot of this has to do with image building. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, you see this a lot in families where, listen, the reputation, our reputation is what is most important. The image that people see us as is most important. And, and you know, I, I have to admit, this is a, this is a very easy thing, uh, mindset to fall into, whether, whether you grew up in a home like this or whether you're a parent now. It's an easy sort of mindset to fall into because any of us who are parents um, know firsthand how easily and profoundly a child can completely embarrass us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. And so there's this great, there's, Every parent has sensed this where there is that moment where you have just been totally um, embarrassed. And what's your first response? I want to control this child. Mm -hmm. I want to make this child be exactly what I want them to be so that what? I'm not feeling poorly. I'm not feeling embarrassed. I'm not feeling whatever, you know. Well, think about it if you go out to a restaurant or something. I mean, there's this, the typical example, you know, of what happens when a child accidentally embarrasses their family by doing what? By spilling their drink, right? That's a scary thing for the whole table because now every eye is on that table and a very controlling family is going to do the whole, oh my gosh, how come you spilled your, don't you, don't you know, why didn't you be more careful? You spilled your drink. You should have been watching. Why did you do that? The loving family's just like, okay, no big deal. Sorry you spilled your drink. Let's get somebody over here to help clean it up. But the controlling family is based out of fear. They're saying, oh, my gosh, what do people think about me? How are they going to look at us now that we've, we've done this? And so kids live in that place of always looking to the externals to see if they're being approved of or not, rather than knowing that they're loved just for who they are, no matter what they do. Yeah, now, now. Um, I, I think probably our listeners, if if they thought about it long enough, could see multiple connections to how this sort of environment can lend itself toward um, somebody maybe developing a sexual addiction. But let's actually just go ahead and ask the question. How does a person in this environment, uh, what are the components that are that are kind of a setup in this environment for a child eventually maybe gravitating towards sexually addictive thoughts and behaviors? Well, to boil it down to its basic form, is it's, it's just a desperate cry for real love. And what a child doesn't ever get is that real, unconditional love that says, no matter what I do, I'm loved. 
And so what they began to do is they set up, they began to see around them. As we said, kids are sponges, right? So they begin to see what works and what doesn't work, and they respond accordingly. If I go along with what mom and dad say, then I feel better. I'm more accepted. They care about me more. They seem to be happier with me. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's a lot like the... Uh, the young student who chooses to go into law school because dad's a lawyer. Because why? Because, well, if I don't, then he, he says I won't make as much money. Or because, uh, well, you won't be a chip off the old block. Or what? You're going to go into social work? Nobody in our family goes into social work. So that kid learns that the control equals love. Mm -hmm. But that's very dry, right? It's very empty because it's not a real love. But that makes, but that then makes perfect sense why pornography and all these different uh, ways to act out, whether it be a strip club or some sort of, um, uh, you know, if affair, these are all things that are going to very much appeal to uh, someone who is about control. Sure. Because you can still present an image, because you can do all these things privately and secretly, and since these things are devoid of any true intimacy. It's going to feel like you're right at home. Right. I mean, in terms of the control, sure. just, because hey, I can be in I can be in total control. I don't have to get involved. And good grief, if you come from a controlling environment, you know how to detach emotionally. Exactly, you've you've become an expert at that. And so these things are going to be. It's going to be a very natural gravitation towards these types of disconnecting, detaching. Um, false intimacy sort of behaviors and couple that with your sexuality and it gives the illusion that you're getting something here that you weren't getting in this other environment because sexuality is very powerful. Sure. So in your family environment where there, there probably wasn't, you know, at least in, in, in my case and a lot of other sex addicts case, there wasn't any sort of sexual activity uh, in sort of in terms of sexual abuse or anything that was coupled with any sort of controlling conditional environment, um, you now go over here to the sexual activities, the sexual addiction activities. It creates a whole other sort of component that's still lying to you. Sure, but it feels like it's different from what was coming out of the home environment. As a kid, sure. even though fundamentally they're the same thing. Right. I mean, you still have this kid who has this legitimate need, which is to be loved, but he now has found an illegitimate way to meet that legitimate need because it wasn't there in the in, in his home. Mm -hmm. He didn't have unconditional love. He had very controlling love, and now he gets to fully control his own sexuality. That, that masks itself as love. Well, if I feel lonely, I can masturbate. If I feel rejected, then I can look at porn. And if I can have these online relationships and I don't have to ever give anything in return, therefore I also don't ever get connected with anyone. And then I don't have to fear what? Rejection. Mm -hmm. I don't have to fear letting somebody down. I don't have to fear their control because when I don't want to be in it anymore, I can just say, I'm out of this. And I move on to the next one. Would you say there's any more of a uh, uh, impact um, in this sort of environment towards a person moving towards uh, heterosexual sexual activity or homosexual activity, or does it really even matter? Is it kind of a, a, a pretty standard um, 
impact across the board? I think it's fairly standard impact, Jonathan. I, I, if it is, it's maybe two or three degrees uh, different, but I do think that those two or three degrees more intense might be found among same-sex attracted men just because of the amount of control and the fear that's in that whole sin area, fear of not being accepted, but also the fear of not wanting to be, uh, of not even knowing how to relate to men, and so they put a real control around that. And I think you see that in the gay community because that's why there's so much anger when you start to talk about when you start to talk about just pain or when you talk about this not really being a lifestyle, that it's really a, 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 an illegitimate way of meeting a broken need. And so they've got to have that control to prove to themselves that, no, we're really better than what we, than what we think we are. Mm-hmm. But, there's, but in terms of the, the, the power of that environment having influence in leading them to some sort of sexual acting out, it's probably pretty equal. I would say so. I mean, because again, in this, and because I really agree with you on on the, the the fact that this sort of environment and this sort of, this sort of factor of control and conditional uh, or conditions placed on love and acceptance is such a fundamental root of um, a lot of different dysfunctional thinking that comes out, but but specifically in sexually addictive behaviors because it it just, it chops us down at the knees in terms of what our basic need as a human being is, to be unconditionally loved. Exactly. And, And so it just, from the very beginning, it can get things skewed off in a direction. Even if it's skewed off at one degree, you take that 25 years out in the future and you're way, way, way off line sure. off track and it can so much even skew our view of god because sure. then we want god to be that controlling god and then when somebody hurts us then we want him to step in and take control and destroy that person who just hurt us or mm-hmm. we want him to step in and change whatever circumstances we're in and we don't understand that he he sees all of his children and that he allows them to have free will and therefore they may hurt one another at times, but he still loves us unconditionally. Well, for the remainder of our time, I want to I want to see if we can address two things. One is uh, if we can speak to those in our audience who grew up in this sort of environment, and and what we can say to them that would be of encouragement, and and how they can get help, and and how um, their thinking and and um, uh, understanding of love can be completely transformed. And secondly. Just uh, what we can say to parents out there in terms of helping them uh, create an atmosphere in their home that is not like this. Right. So what would you say to those in our audience who grew up in this sort of environment, and how can they get to a place where they, they understand and experience unconditional love? Well, my first response is, is, is the very first response I think we should always have, which is, okay, get on your knees and say, okay, Lord, I may not know how to love. And maybe I've grown up in a place where I was controlled and therefore I don't know what love really looks like. I know what lust feels like. I know what control feels like. But I don't really know what love looks like. And I want to change. And I want to change the way I love and the way I felt love. That's the first step. I think the second step is to acknowledge that this won't be done on your own. You cannot do this in isolation 
because that's exactly where God, you, he doesn't do it in isolation. He does it in relationship. So you can't have someone else point out in you your controlling behaviors if you're not willing to be in a relationship. And it can be a friend. It can be your, your, your spouse. But it needs to be somebody who begins to say, hey, that's a controlling behavior. And you have to be willing to talk to your, especially if it's a spouse, because we sometimes don't allow our spouses to get involved in this. We like to keep them controlled, right? Uh, but it's it's best to be able to talk to your spouse and say, look, I know this about myself, and I need you to point out to me when you feel controlled, when you feel like I'm trying to coerce you to do something just because it makes me feel better, and when you don't feel loved. I'll never forget when I first got married, my wife said those very words to me. She said, I just don't feel like you love me. And I heard those very words come out of my mouth. Well, of course I love you. I'm your husband. Mm -hmm. Well, that didn't mean to her that I really loved her. It just meant that to me, I, I, I was trying to control the situation and say, yes, I'm doing everything right because I'm your husband. But the real truth there is sometimes having to say, okay, maybe I don't know. How do I love you better? Show me how. Uh, I think those are key key situations that have to be done to see this thing change. Yeah, and I would even say in that, in the realization that you can't do this alone, um, you're probably going to have to um, you're probably going to have to lean into those who can guide you, mm-hmm. who can lead you in this process. It's one thing to know that you can't do it on your own and have to connect with some people in ways that um, that are awkward and unfamiliar, but also, you're going to need some people who understand um, what it means to uh, walk in unconditional love, what it means to embrace um, the chaos of life. And that may mean a counselor or a pastor or somebody that can kind of help you along along that way. Uh, what would you say now, though, to, to parents? I mean, what would you com- want to communicate to parents who may be listening to this broadcast and saying, I've said that to my kids, like you just said, you said it to your wife, but th- that have said it to their kids when their kids bring an emotionally vulnerable thing and say, well, of course you know that. I mean, what would you say to those parents who are now hyperventilating next to the radio and saying, I, I, I don't know what to do. I, I know I'm controlling my the environment of my family, but how do I change? Well, I think that is the first step is, is acknowledging, hey, I know I've done that. And if you haven't, if you're just sitting here listening, ask yourself in a very honest assessment, what would I say if my child came to me and said, I just don't think you love me? Would I respond with, well, of course I do? Or would I respond with, well, you know I do because of all the things I do for you? Or would I really get down on on their level and say, hey, I'm sorry, tell me how to love you? And if you have to answer the first two, then you know, okay, I could have an issue with control. And just begin looking for ways to not control. You know, uh, is it going to hurt that they don't wear what you want them to wear the first day of school? Is it going to keep them down the road from being uh, the man or woman that God intends them to be if they wear all matching clothes the first day of school? Uh, you know, look at those things where you've tried to control. And especially look at how you love. Because sometimes... Parents in this situation love by doing because it's easier, right? If I cook you your favorite meal, if I, I'm always there when you're sick, but yet I'm not there when you just need to have a hug, 
then maybe I'm only a doer. Maybe I'm a performer lover. Maybe I perform to, to show my love. Mm-hmm. And sometimes kids see right through that, and they know that mom or dad doesn't really love me when I'm not so great. They only love me when I'm sick or when I'm... Uh, when I've you know skinned my knee or something like that, am I a performance lover? Um, I think the other thing to think about is, do I truly accept my kids whether they do exactly what I want them to do or not? Mm-hmm. And if they if they if I don't if I if they came home with uh, you know thirteen piercings in one ear one day, would I still love them or would I be very disappointed and kind of stay away from them for a while? Look at how conditional my love is. And I think the thing we have to keep in mind, listeners, is that uh, the 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 best model for parenting is Christ himself. He mm-hmm. is the perfect father, um, and he has shown us what unconditional love is. Uh, the Bible tells us that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so uh, even, you know, one of the things I try to remember, and I'm, I have to admit I don't do this all the time, but I try to remember, okay, how does God parent me? In all my imperfections, and all my failures, and all my rebellions, and all of my, you know, goof ups, how has He parented me? And He's parented me with faithfulness and with unconditional love. And I'm thinking, okay, that's exactly how I need to parent my kids. And so- we are glad you joined us today, and we hope that God had a special word just for you. Remember that Healing Hidden Wounds and Shadow of His Wings Ministry are listener supported. And all services are provided on a donation basis. If you heard something today that was especially important to you, we hope you will consider donating a gift. Please visit www.healinghiddenwounds.com to donate today. Now let it rain in my life and my heart. Your love has done its part. Now let it rain.